It is really, really good to see you. It's exciting to be here. I'm glad that you're here. We are in this series, I'm All In, and we are in part four of five in this series. The parts of this series are all based on our core statements. And so we've been looking at love God wholeheartedly, do first things first, don't do life alone. Today we're looking at save people, serve people, and next week we'll be looking at followers say, follow me. So today I think is very, very appropriate to say a great big thank you to all of you who are volunteers that are serving here. We just thank you and appreciate you. I know that even though you're not volunteering at this moment, what takes place here is completely supported by what you do, and we couldn't do what we do here in this moment unless we have those volunteers, and so we're so grateful to you. And many of you are serving in so many other ways. You're serving in your small group, loving one another, serving one another. We looked at all those one another's last week a little bit, and you are serving each other. And perhaps you're serving people that are near and dear to you in your workplaces. So there's all kinds of serving going on, and we just thank you for that. I want to begin today with kind of a visual metaphor uh, that is... Found in the poetic sections of scripture repeatedly over and over again, it's uh, there relating the sea, the tossing and churning stormy sea. You'll find this in many parts of Psalms and in Isaiah and other poetic places where they use this metaphor of the sea as a place of evil, a place of battle, a place where there is chaos and disorder. And in each of those poetic images, we have God entering into the scene and bringing peace and order and restoring uh, that peace and order in his rescuing effort in the middle of this tossing and churning and stormy sea. The sea is a picture of our world, and what God is doing is a picture of salvation. And what God is doing now is he is established in this period in which we live, he's established rescue ships all throughout this tossing and churning and stormy sea of evil. And these rescue ships are out helping people get on board and to be saved out of this tossing, stormy sea that's in the middle of a clash, a battle between good and evil, and people are drowning in it. Now, we are currently living in a storm, and we've experienced a storm of a a different kind lately, and what is interesting is that we have a problem all across the world, and particularly in our nation, where the rescue ships, churches, many of them are now struggling in their commission to be rescue ships. Some of them are struggling so much because their uh, infirmary on board is, is getting larger and larger as their crews are getting smaller and smaller and they're having a difficult time keeping up with the task. And some of the rescue ships are uh, struggling in the middle of the sea to survive as ships all over the United States. So when I say I'm so grateful to you, it is with great heartfelt emotion that we are functioning as a rescue ship and we are doing as well as we are 
by God's grace and by your faithfulness. And so I thank you. One of the problems all across the nation is that we have a wrong idea of who we are before God and who, who we are in relationship to the church. And this wrong idea too often is born and nurtured and developed even within the followers of Jesus that view the church more as a cruise ship to heaven than as a battleship that is in the middle of a battle, or I should say a rescue ship that is in the middle of a battle to save lives out of this chaos and this turmoil and this battle that continues in Jesus' rescuing mission, which we have been called to. I... uh, looked up some Coast Guard massive ships, some of their biggest ships, and discovered that Coast Guard rescue ships uh, actually carry on board many small rescue boats. And they can literally launch them while they're moving rapidly, launch them right out the back of the boat. We, in our ship, are able to launch little boats called small groups. And these little boats called small groups are called to serve one another and to be equipped to stay on board and be part of the rescue mission. And I think these small groups help us to maintain an an attitude that views our relationship to Christ and our relationship to his mission and our relationship to his church to see ourselves not as passengers on a cruise ship to evaluate whether we enjoy the meal, to evaluate whether this particular port of call and these shops at this bay would be where we want to go to enjoy our experience as passengers on a cruise ship to heaven. No. We are called as members of the crew to be a part of the rescue operation in the middle of this raging battle and storm. And so when I say thank you, thank you, thank you, For all of the ways that you serve, again, I mean it so deeply from the bottom of my heart. So Group Link happens this afternoon at 4 o'clock. It's a perfect opportunity to explore how to be equipped within a group to be a functional crew member of a rescue ship. And there's all kinds of different equipping. Just like in a Coast Guard, there's equipping that is very specialized for the very, very specialized person that jumps into the riskiest of situations, dropped by helicopter, and to go into danger and to rescue people out of that danger. And then there are other crew members that are on board of a a boat that are launched. There are other crew members that are just taking care of the navigation of the large ship and so on and so forth. There are jobs for everyone, and we're all called to something if we're followers of Jesus. Having said that, I'm going to get a little bit pointed as we need to shift our view if we haven't shifted it because this is a temptation for every one of us to begin to cruise as a passenger instead of a crew member. When things get really, really tough to shrink back and serve ourselves is the temptation. And so this is a hard-hitting message. Point number one. You are the crew. And when I say that, that should come across very, very personally 
and it's kind of in your face, but we need it to be so, but we need to identify who is the crew. The crew are those who are followers of Jesus, saved by him, and called to his mission. That means all of God's people who have claimed Jesus Christ and his completed work for their lives means that we've signed up to be a part of his mission. We are crew members. Now, having said that, I just need to um, prepare us a little bit so that you don't hear me wrong because we're going to get into a hard-hitting message that really just kind of gets in our face. It gets in my face, and I know I'm a crew member, but it gets in my face. Uh, I don't want this message to be, and this message is not a guilt message. So if you're prone to take on guilt, um, please do your best not to take on guilt. And this message is not a pressure message. If you're prone to hear things as, as pressure upon you, please don't take this as pressure upon you to quickly run out there and go sign up for something you're gonna regret later. There are people who are people who are, um, people who have a hard time saying no to things. Those are certain kinds of people. And they'll just, anytime they feel that guilt, anytime they feel that pressure, for whatever reason, they just go and take more and take more. And there are other people who are, are people who have a hard time saying yes to anything. Okay? And either kind of person or anything in between could hear this message completely wrong, not as I intend it. So if you're a person that has a hard time saying no and you're already signed up for this and you're going to this and you have this group and you have that group or whatever, don't take on more if taking on more causes you to hinder or harm your sweet spot in the area where you are called to serve because God has gifted you there. And please don't take on so much that the worst thing could happen where you take on more and more and more because of the pressure or because of the guilt that you take on so much that eventually you burn out and you have to pull out because you're now part of the infirmary, okay? So don't go there. Now, if you're the kind of person that um, reluctant to say yes to anything, you'll hear this and you'll want to pull out or you'll want to check out. I'm asking you, please, don't do that. Instead of pulling out, or check out, you need to figure it out. Figure you out and hear what God has for you. You might need to figure out what it is that you've got to say no to because you're not saying yes to God somewhere. And so you got to figure it out. Don't just pull out. Don't just check out. All right, so those are my provisos. We're going to be going into scripture. And like I say, they're going to hit us rather uh, between the eyes. And so... I wanted to be careful there because <clears throat> I love you too much for you to misunderstand such something so important. We're going to be learning from Paul in Ephesians, first of all. In Ephesians 4, 11 through 12, we hear this. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, and some people think that's a combined thing, whether it is or not to equip the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ. Now, that's a, that's a pretty word-for-word um, -word transliter translation of the text. Um, and 
if you have some of the older translations that's pretty word for word, we have a tendency within our culture that reads this and automatically even followers of Jesus and too many followers of Jesus read this. If this is the, the translations they're reading out of, they say, phew, I'm off the hook because I'm no saint. And I certainly am not in the ministry. So there's two misunderstandings going on right up front with the followers of Jesus. Misunderstanding because of our cultural history and where we're coming from. Misunderstanding these two words. In the New Testament, the use of the word saint is applied not like our culture applies it. Now, uh, I kind of need to just blow through some Definitions here. Saint Hagias means the holy ones. Okay? And, and you might say, see, told you, I'm no saint. Ah, hold on. But the holy ones is applied to as a label to all of God's people who have been washed clean by the blood of Jesus. So if you claim Jesus as your savior, you've been washed clean and become holy ones by the victory of his cross. And so all through the New Testament, saints is a label that's applied to every Christian in all the churches who claim to be washed clean by Jesus. And the holy ones, let's just start with the word holy, means to be set apart. And so saints are holy ones set apart. Set apart for what? Set apart for serving Jesus in his mission. Now here's an interesting thing about the word holy. If you're reading the Old Testament, you'll recognize that even furniture is called holy in the temple. Furniture can't sin. Furniture can't, doesn't even have a will. But it was consecrated, prayed over, washed clean, and put in the temple to be used for holy purposes. That's us. You are now vessels that have been washed clean by Jesus to be used in Jesus' hands for his purposes to serve him. And let me just define ministry now. Ministry is not a word that's applied to the pastors and the elite, the saints that are so far above us. Ministry is simply service. So when I say thank you for signing up and serving, you are ministers and now, we don't have bulletins anymore, but on our bulletins, when we printed them out, we listed off the staff, the pastors, etc., etc., and then we listed off the ministers, and we said, members of the congregation. We are all the ministers who do the work of the service. Now, notice who does the work of the service that Paul just put here. It's not the pastors and teachers. We're not doing the work of the service. We're not doing the work of the ministry. We're doing the equipping of the people who do the work. Unhealthy churches, the people expect the pastors to do the work. Healthy churches, the pastors equip the people to do the work. Now, pastors have to do the work too because we're a people. I'm a member. And how I equip is by example as well as by teaching. So it's really important that we get a hold of this concept. Now, um, so... Here we have these two words, saints and ministry. Now I'm going to just let you see on the screen the NIV that translates for us simply so that you can't go, I'm off the hook. Here's how the NIV translates this, to equip his people for works of service. So he's saying his people. That's how they translate saints. Correctly, by the way, because it's a label applied to each 
member of the body of Christ who has been washed clean by Jesus, who has been set aside and set apart because they've been washed clean to do holy purposes. By the way, if you're not holy today, what's wrong with you? You just took communion. You renewed yourself in Jesus to be washed clean, renewing uh, the grace in your life and confessing your sin to be washed clean. Why? Because you're in an ongoing ministry and you're powerless while you're in sin. And while you're washed clean, now you're a vessel for noble purposes and God can use you for noble purposes to make a difference in this battle that we're in. So this is a very important teaching that we have to get a hold of. You are the crew. Point number two, reframe the storm. We need to reframe the storm. There's a clash that I just described between good and evil, a clash between God Almighty and the devil not almighty, okay? It's not equal powers. God is going to win. We already know it because God manufactures power at his own will. The devil has a limited amount of power and we've kind of, as human beings, by our sin, given him authority to reign over the world. Everything that Satan has is yielded authority that sinners yield to him. They yield ground to their, of their lives and he takes over whatever area we yield up to him. And we have a messed up world because we have a world filled with sinners and Satan is the ruler of this world. But we're in a clash where Jesus is rescuing out of this world a people for himself. And that clash is awful. Now, we need to reframe that clash because there's a clash that is on the outside. You see it when you watch the news. And there's a clash that is on the inside. We need to reframe the battle because the primary clash is the clash that's on the inside. And we need to reframe that clash on the inside because the devil is after your heart and mind to deceive you into yielding to temptations and play into his kingdom and keep living in his kingdom even though you're a child of God. Okay, so that's a bigger battle that's going on that we need to always be humbling ourselves before Christ and being washed before Christ and being set into who we are uh, saved to be, okay? And we need to reframe that battle because we often think the temptation comes like this. Here, do this blatantly evil thing. (laughs) It never sounds like that. It does not. It is so subtle. It is a temptation to do the thing that interests you to serve yourself so that we can become self-serving people instead of Christ-serving people. There's the primary battleground, and the church is losing. And the church is fully equipped to win and not lose this. And yet, I have to be careful because I get on my soapbox and go, the church, the church, the church. I'm the church. You're the church. We're the church. We each are tempted right here until we reframe the battle and see that, oh, it's this subtle temptation to just please me and shrink back and live my merry life because I love the cruise that I'm on with Jesus. And Jesus said, help me out here, help me out here. We just go, you're doing just fine on your own. I want to be on the beach because I'm enjoying my cruise ship 
experience. Thank you for promising to take me to heaven. He says, you want me to take you to heaven? I'll take you to heaven now. I didn't take you to heaven now because I have a job for you to do now. Right? We're not dead yet. Each of us has been saved. We're not saved to be on a cruise ship to quickly get to heaven. We're saved on a mission to save the rest of the world because that's Christ's mission. That's who we are as a church and we need to reframe that storm. So we don't often even see that we're tempted. Matthew 25, Jesus tells a parable that reads this way. Then they too will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or without clothes or sick or in prison and not help you? Then he will answer them, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. That's the temptation that we often do not see, and that's the bigger battle every day of our lives than the battle we are focused on. We need to reframe the battle. Save people, serve people. Matthew 16, 25, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will find it. Now, we have a hard time even understanding that, but then we have a harder time believing it to be true, that if I let go of my self-interests and just serve Christ, that my life will be better. You know why we have a hard time letting go? Because we believe the lie of the enemy that says, no, you won't be happy if you let go of your self-interests. But if we believe the truth that Jesus will make our life most fulfilled when we stop living for ourselves in a self-centered life, we're going to enjoy life more when it becomes about loving Jesus, whether it's loving her or him or this person or this person. It's out of the love for Jesus that we start doing this. All of life takes on new meaning and new joys. And we have a hard time believing it because... It's hard. We would rather, in the middle of the storm, when it's hard and we're seasick, abandon our post. In fact, get off the boat and get on the beach and go, ah. It's like the guy who uh, has the alarm set and he just stops the alarm and just keeps sleeping. And his wife says, honey, honey, you got to get up. No, I don't want to get up. You've got to get up. I don't want to get up. Name me one reason why I should get up. She says, I'll name you two. It's Sunday, and you're the preacher. Point number one, you are the crew. Point number two, reframe the storm. Point number three, reframe your identity. Reframe your identity. We're about to read a very difficult section where Paul challenges us with how he has reframed his very way of seeing himself, reframed his identity, and it's going to slap us in the face, especially when we start to live out this identity. Colossians 1, 24 through 25 says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for you. 
Okay, so this preacher that sometimes doesn't feel like doing his role as a crew member doesn't want to sign up for the suffering that's called for. There is leadership pain in my role as a crew member, and there's leadership pain in your role as a crew member. And sometimes we do not like it. We don't think that's even biblical. I mean, you saved us. You're supposed to take the pain away, right? Huh? Well, apparently not. According to this, and so many other passages, and we need to figure out what that means. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for you, and I, com- I am completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body, that is, the church. I have become its servant. Paul has become the church's servant. That's his identity. He sees himself that way. In fact, you'll see every single letter practically of his where he identifies himself as a bondservant of Christ. That's his identity, that's his marker, that's how he introduces himself. Instead of, I'm, I'm an apostle, I'm a whatever, he says, I'm a bondservant of Christ. That's my identity, that's how I see myself. That's what he's talking about here, but he gives us some other phrases that help us see what he means. He talks about the, the church is the body of Christ, and that's what, what he serves, the body of Christ. Now, if you're not familiar with that, each of us, when we talk about membership, Paul is the one that invented this idea. The rest of the world take it over, but Paul invented the idea that we are members of a body. The rest of the world just uses it without the spiritual power. We use it with power because we are members of Christ himself. A few verses later in verse 27, he talks about this mystery that has now been revealed, which is your hope. The hope is this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. We've now put our lives together with Jesus Christ in such a way that Jesus lives in us and our literal body becomes a member of the body of Christ with him as the head and his life living through us in serving hands and serving feet and serving mouths and serving support behind the scenes or in front of the scenes. Wherever he calls us to, every single one of us has been called and equipped for a job to be a crew member. We're its servant because we're members of his church, the body of Christ. And his life then serves us to serve one another and love one another and admonish one another, etc., which we talked about last week. And we are all called to this, and the power of it is Christ's power in us to be able to carry this out. I keep talking too long. We need to move along. Where did he get this? I think Paul got this when he was a persecutor of the church. His Jewish name, Saul, was what Christ confronted him with when he was persecuting the Christians on his way to Damascus, knocked him off his horse, brilliant light. The voice comes to him and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He says, who are you, Lord? As far as he's concerned, he's just killing those stupid Christians not some glorious being, but the way Jesus looks at it is those Christians are in union with him. You mess with the least of these Christians, you've messed with me. You persecute them, you've persecuted me. You love them, you love me. 
Why? Because we are all now members of the body of Christ. This is the mystery that was not revealed until the New Testament and until Jesus himself completed the work that enabled us in our human dead spirit to connect with God's living spirit to be alive and have his living spirit empower us as members of a functioning body to bring glory and rescue to a hurting world that on its way to hell. This is huge theology that makes a big difference in every single life here if we can get a hold of this. But there's a really odd statement that he says right there in Colossians 1.24 where he says, I am completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Huh? What could possibly be lacking in Christ's afflictions? We know that Jesus suffered all there is to be suffered on our behalf on the cross so that everybody could be saved. What's he referring to? Like, what could be lacking with regard to Christ's afflictions? Jesus said from the cross, it is finished. The work is completed. There's nothing we can add to get ourselves to heaven. Jesus did it all, and that's truth. So what's he referring to here? He's referring to the ongoing rescue mission that we've been called to when he calls us to the Great Commission to go out and make disciples, to rescue, to love, to serve. He's saying that unless you join with me in my continued suffering to connect people to the cross and to myself and to the resurrection and what I have done for them, unless you suffer with me, because you're my hands, you're my feet, you're my mouth, unless you suffer with me, they're not getting there. Now, just in case you think that I'm making too much of just that one sentence, you might turn your outline over or look in the study side, question two. I list off a lot of other scriptures that say we participate with Christ in his ongoing suffering. That's what we're called to. We have to reframe our identity as in union with Christ's rescue mission. And that that is our hope, and that is our glory, and that is our victory. Aren't you glad you came today? Sign up for suffering right now, all of you, because you are Christians. Hello, that's what Jesus said. You want to be my disciple? Deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. He did not make it easy. And yet we want to cruise. We don't want to deny ourselves. We want to live like heathens and take us to heaven. No, I made you holy. Holy ones, wash clean. You're mine, is what he says. Reframe your identity. I'm a servant of Christ. I'm a servant of the body of Christ. That's who he's made me to be because we're on a big mission to change our valley and to change this world. Sign up. Yes, it will hurt. Believe me, I know. Point number one, you are the crew. Point number two, reframe the storm. Point number three, reframe your identity. You are a member of the body of Christ. Point number four, form, I read ahead. Point number four, reframe greatness. Mark 10, 43 through 45 reads this way. Whoever wants to become great among you will be your servant. Now this is a context where... uh, 
James and John wanted the right seat and the left seat in the kingdom when it comes. They just want to climb to power, climb to prestige, climb to those positions. And Jesus says, it's not what you think. And whoever wants to be first among you will be a slave of all. Reframe your view of greatness. For even the Son of Man, that was his label for himself, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Reframe your view of greatness. There's so many passages about this. But a simple one, I'm trying to memorize, and I quoted it to my grandchildren yesterday, is 2 Corinthians 5.15. And he died for all, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again. That's our life. That's our calling. Save people, serve people. So if you're hearing this as guilt or you're hearing this as pressure, just take that off. Take that off. I want you to hear it before God and mold this over. Ask God to show you how important you are to his kingdom, to this church. You're here for a reason. He's equipped you and gifted you, and he is continuing to equip you and gift you, but he will not equip you until, fully equip you until you start using what you're called to use. And then he will equip you further. So a really good place to consider will be how our launch boats equip to be a part of this rescue. Group link this afternoon at four is a great place if you're not in a group. And if we can boil it on the simplest terms, keep asking, keep asking, keep asking, Lord Jesus, how can I serve you? I humble myself before you. I take the path of greatness down, which is a path you showed that you came down, 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 humbling yourself. I take the path of service. How can I serve you? By serving one of the least of these. Lord God, help us to follow you well. In Jesus' name, amen. See you next week. We've got a great conclusion. Followers say, follow me. God bless.